Sam has been speaking a message um, centered around what is going on in the Middle East. But from my perspective and hearing her teach, it's a way bigger story. And it's uh, a significant one for us. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Guys, you all came back. I can't believe it. I thought I... <laughs> Actually, no, I don't know if everybody did come back. Some of you might have stayed home. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father. I know we've prayed so much already, but we love talking with you. We just pray that you would bless this word. Take it like it's a follow-on, and so there's much that's gone before, and there's no time to recap everything. And so, um, yeah, I pray that for those that are perhaps picking up this week, that there would be a pickup. <laughs> For those of us continuing on in this conversation, yeah, I pray that you would just grow us, mature us, deepen us, come closer to us. Father, the goal of this is not fear or, oh, we know. (laughs) Um, The goal is actually proximity with you. Like it's, it's it's a heart that would burn closer for relationship with you, that we would become more like you so that we would be um, ready for you, but also vessels to be so used in a season that actually we're going to be well needed in Jesus' name. So Holy Spirit, be with us. Amen? Amen. Okay. So uh, briefly in the prayer, I just obviously alluded or mentioned that this is part three of a conversation, and I am so not going to go back and recap last week's, because I I did that last week for the sake of the recording, because the first week couldn't be recorded. But by the time I finished recapping, I'm like, oh, that was about 40 minutes. And so we need to, I want to try and land it today. I, I don't know, when I say that, I mean, There's no way that we can look at every scripture. There's too many. Um, But it would be nice to just sort of come into harbor a little bit and and then the conversation. I think we'll need to continue as and when God yeah, brings it up for us to do so. Bev, on um, in the first week of December, is actually going to preach for our friends up at his church. And um, I was listening to one of their messages by our friend, Chez. Um, her husband, Simon, has come to preach here before. He actually came and preached. He, he, he's got great language around just understanding um, some of the story of Israel. And so a little while ago, we asked him to come in and actually just speak. You may remember him. They're both very passionate they preach way louder than we do. So, um, so you may remember Sam from that, just getting so passionate while he was preaching. But his wife, Cheslin, who is um, actually a theologian, like she does have a degree in theology and is well studied, just preached a message off Matthew 24 um, recently. And because Bev was going to be away, um, I just was like, well, what if the boys go there and the girls are here? And so she's actually going to come in and she's just going to share that message. Essentially, it was a really beautiful message of readiness. Um, so I just thought it might be lovely to do in the beginning of December. And then our, our, like Christmas is such a special time of the year. Like, and so let's enjoy it unless we all get raptured before it, but you know, um, like let's go there. Let's invite family. Let's invite friends into the most beautiful story ever that God would give up heaven and come down to earth and identify with us. And if you weren't here these past few weeks, this is probably, we're about to talk about the great tribulation. Oh my goodness. And so um, I just appreciate that this could be like, oh, whoa. And you need to understand that actually, uh, like those songs that we sang are so beautiful. Like we can run to the Father. 
Like he, his grace is enough for us. His, the closer we draw to him, the more we realize that he's just so full of love and patience and kindness and, and, and looking for every angle for relationship with humanity. And, but there is an end to a story because there is, the Bible talks about it as a cup of wickedness. When that cup of wickedness is full, it's like it's full and it needs to be dealt with. And so, um, like I was reading even in, in Genesis um, past some of the scriptures that we would have looked at uh, where it talked about, you know, covenants with Isaac and blessing over Isaac and blessing over Ishmael. And of course, those two half brothers become um, what we know as the Arab world and, and, and as the Jews. Um, but beyond that, we just see this conversation between God and Abraham over talking about wickedness over um, two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't know if you know them, but in Genesis 18, you will find them mentioned. And then it rolls on to Genesis 19 when essentially those two cities get destroyed. And, um, and what happens is these two angels visit Abraham and it's, they have all kinds of conversation, but within it, they do let Abraham know that they are actually needing to deal with those cities and they're going to destroy those cities. And Abraham's nephew Lot lives in one of those cities. And so Abraham is like, oh my goodness, like, is this for real? Like, would you really destroy those cities? What if there were like 50 righteous people? It starts with this, this conversation. And, um, and he, he's actually talking to God about this. And like, would you not save the city? Like if there were 50 righteous people, I mean, there's, 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 it's a city, right? So there's a lot more than 50 people, but what if there were 50? Like, would you seriously go and like all of those people would die along with, you know, the rest of them. And God's answer is no, I would, I would actually, if you can, if, if we can find 50 righteous people, I'll I'll save the city. And this whole barter goes down. You should go and read it in Genesis 18. Um, and it goes down to what if there were 45? And it's like, I would save the city. What if there were 40? I would save the city. What if there were 30? I'd save the city. What if there were 20? I would save the city. What if you were to find 10? And that's where Abraham stops. And I wonder whether if Abraham were to have continued, would God's heart would have just been so like, no, I'll, I'll wait. My patience, my, my, my want for humanity to look different, I would wait. Because this is what God does. He is so long-suffering with us. Um, and, and, and what ends up happening is these angels go into the cities the next day, and it's crazy what goes, what, like, it's, it's actually just, it's sick what is going on in those cities. And, and, the, and the angels end up saying to Lot, take your family, take your daughters, take your sons-in-law who are too busy to listen to the angels and get out of here because, like, you're it. I'm saving you because of, I'm not even saving you because you're righteous. <laughs> like, the daughters were a bit debauched, actually. Um, the wife was a little bit like, really? She loved the city and, you know, the whole pillar of salt story. And so what ends up happening is, is, is God, because of his love for Abraham, saves this remnant in the city, pulls them out, and then the city is destroyed. But, you know, I think about with the story of the world, I think you could learn about the heart of God and that he is always longing and waiting and wooing and wanting for people to, to step into his blessing, to step into his protection, to step into his, into his covering. But at the same time, um, there, there comes a time where the cup of wickedness is full, as the Bible speaks about. And, um, and so we've been talking about, yes, what's going on, but, but greater than that. And I can't give you, the Bible does not talk about what is currently going on. But, but, um, 
but it does talk about what we are heading towards. And so what we as a church need to be, one, prepared for and ready for, and two, that we would actually have hearts that would burn for humanity because we are the ones who know. <laughs> and there's, I look around sometimes and I'm all, oh my goodness, like there's a whole lot of people who are just going to be taken by complete surprise. And you look at, at people taken by surprise in Israel on the 7th of October and it's just devastating. It's devastating. The fallout of wickedness is devastating. The enemy does not care. He does not care. God actually does. So it's important that we, we get this right in the balance of, of who we are, that God actually cares. He is always after. The enemy does not. And in a world left unto itself, um, this is just consequence that we have the luxury of being prepared for. What I want to do um, is actually just read to you the words of Jesus. Oh, those, those are good words to look at, right? So this is, we're going to pick up in Luke 21. And, um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and marry Luke 21 a little bit with Matthew 24, which are these two places in the Gospels where Jesus actually speaks about the time to come, the end of the era to come. Um, and, and, and he references some Old Testament prophecies. He doesn't reference them, them all in the same way that I can't reference them all today. But let's look at the words of Jesus. Don't you think it's a good idea? Did anyone go home and read Luke 21? Did you? Did you? Oh, well done, students. Okay. <laughs> Child. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. Um, okay, so basically what's happening is the disciples are um, talking about the temple, marveling at how beautiful it is. And Jesus just, it, it just into their conversation, starts to say, as for all these things, which you see, that temple over there that you're just like raving on about, <laughs> the time will come when there will be not one stone left on another. Um, sorry, I'm not reading right, hey? That will not be torn down. Okay, we know that this ends up happening. It happened in 70 AD. Okay, so he starts there. Um, and then the disciples ask him, they say, teacher, like, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to happen? Is there any way that that TV could be on, guys? Thanks, but it's okay. Take your, uh, let, me, let me look here. I just don't want to keep turning around. Okay. Teacher, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to happen? He said, be careful and see to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, appropriating for themselves the name Messiah, which belongs to me alone, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. That's Jesus' advice, okay? Remember, he's speaking to his disciples, okay? And they're just asking, when are things going to happen? And he says, when you hear of wars and disturbances, civil unrest, revolts, uprisings, do not panic, for these things must take place first, but the end will not come immediately. Okay, you've got to understand, when you start digging into stuff and start researching, he is talking, he is referring to them asking, when is this temple going to be destroyed? And he's like, all kinds of stuff is going to go down, okay? But then he flips, and he's like, but the end... Okay, the end of this era that I have just birthed is not going to come immediately. There is time. Okay, we are living in 2023. These words were said 2,000-ish words ago. The next part, if you, depending on which Bible you read and how much of a study Bible you get, is actually entitled Things to Come. Okay, so then he flips now and he says, Jesus told them, or the Bible says, Jesus told them, nation will rise against nation 
and kingdom against kingdom, which has happened, by the way. Like nations have risen against nations. Kingdoms have fought kingdoms from the time of Jesus till the time that we are sitting in. There will be violent earthquakes, so there have been. And in various places, famines and deadly and devastating pestilences, plagues, epidemics. And there will be terrible sights and great signs from heaven. Okay, stuff's going to go down within the story of the world, right? As we edge towards the end of an era. In Matthew 24, um, in verse eight, as Jesus is saying these things, he actually adds a little bit more in there. And he says, these are the beginnings. These things, nations rising against nations, kingdoms, all of that, he calls them the beginnings of birth pangs. So now suddenly we've got this metaphor going on where it's like, you know, when you... (laughs) Those of you who've had children, okay, you start with your Braxton Hicks and then you start getting contractions and the contractions are quite far apart in the beginning and then they get closer and closer together until eventually they are so close together, it's like, okay, the second coming of Jesus is birthed, right? So this whole metaphor of birth pangs is like, these are the birth pangs, the earthquakes, the wars, the nations rising against nations, the plagues. The epi- you see these things? Okay, <laughs> contraction. Wait a while, contraction. When they start to get closer together, you've got to start taking notice. This is in the same way that you do when you're going to have a baby. You're like timing those things and you're all, we better get to the hospital. Okay. Then just back to Luke 21. He actually comes back again to them because he says, but before all these things. So he's like hopping around a little bit, making it tricky for us, but not so tricky because we're wiser. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you. He's speaking to the disciples again. And listen, guys, these things did happen to the disciples. So before all these birth pangs, they're going to actually lay their hands on you and they're going to persecute you you, turning you over to the synagogues and prisons and bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. This happened to Jesus's disciples. They were turned over. Um, Most of them were put to death. You always think some people are like, like, is Jesus for real? Like, is it for real? Like, is he, you know, I'm like, seriously, would those guys have been allowed to have someone take their life for the testimony of Jesus if it was not real to them? They went through a lot, like it was, it was a costly birthing of the church. This will be a time and an opportunity for you to testify about me. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. How's this advice? Don't try and defend yourselves, okay? For I will give you skillful words and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. In other words, when you need the words, I'm going to give them to you in that moment, Don't worry about preparing your speech and trying to get before people and I will give you words in that moment. But you will be betrayed and handed over even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death. Guys, that's like a heavy conversation. And you will be continually hated by everyone because of your association with my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your patient endurance, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will gain your souls. This is Jesus' advice to his disciples, okay? And then he comes back. But, okay, back to us. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by hostile armies, then 
understand with confident assurance that her complete destruction is near. In Matthew 24, this is where Jesus, he flips, he's giving them advice, he's talking about birth pangs, and now he's back to, okay, but there is actually a time of the end. I'm gonna, let, me, let me address that with you, okay? When, Jer- when Jerusalem is surrounded, in Matthew 24, it actually says this, so when you see the abomination of desolation, the appalling sacrilege that astonishes and makes desolate, spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. And it's like, it gives you this brackets where it says, let the reader of the book of Daniel understand. In other words, what Jesus is doing in this moment, this is Matthew 24, okay? You can... Um, you can go and look at it and compare and whatever at home. Um, but, but what he's saying over there is, Daniel, I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's a great book to read. It's the stories that we're quite familiar with often from kids' church, if we grew up in kids' church, where, you know, like pretty horrific how the Israelites were dragged out of Israel and taken into captivity in Babylon. And then some of the, like, it, 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 some of the um, very capable men were chosen, even from amongst the Jewish people, to become leaders in that nation. Daniel was one of them and his three other mates, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know the story about them, how they get thrown into a fiery furnace. And it's like, as people look in, they're like, didn't we throw three guys in there? Oh my goodness, there's four. There's an angel in there with them and they have not been burnt. They don't even come out smelling of smoke. It's wild. Oh my goodness. Like, can you even imagine this kind of um, persecution, right? And then Daniel isn't in the fire at that time, but later on, Daniel and and to to King Darius's deep, deep sorrow, but he finds himself in a pickle where he has been trapped. And it's like, shucks, I've got to throw this guy, Daniel, who I deeply love, into a lion's den. And he does it. And he, as he's doing it, he's like, I pray that the God that you serve so faithfully will save you. I mean, imagine that. Like, And, and what happens? Daniel come, walks out of the lion's den the next morning. And all the guys who pretty much trapped Daniel end up getting thrown in the next day. And they get devoured. Literally, it's them and their families. It's actually horrific. And they get devoured before they've even hit hit the grounds. It's not like the lions were not hungry, you know? I'm like, these stories are wild. The Bible's wild. But then it turns in Daniel, around Daniel 8, and he's the guy, he's a bit of a Joseph of his time, where he has uh, this ability to interpret dreams. It's how he ends up so senior in Babylon, like Joseph ended up so senior, where Joseph um, was able to interpret people's dreams in, in, in prison, and then he was able to interpret the Pharaoh's dreams, and it was like you could not, not recognize that this guy had a gift from God. And so, so too with Daniel. And so he's this incredible interpreter. And then what happens towards the end of his life is God starts to give him dreams of the end. Jesus refers to these dreams while he's talking to his disciples as it was written in Daniel. But guys, listen, we've got to give ourselves some grace when we read some of the stuff and we think, what in the world is this talking about? Because Daniel sees these visions and then an angel comes and explains the visions to him. You see it in two parts. This is what he sees. And then it's like, this is what the angel says. And even by the end of it, there are times where Daniel, it says he is sick to his stomach. He doesn't eat for three weeks. He's on his face. He is taken out by what he's seen, trying to understand it. Can't fully understand it, but it's big. It, uh, uh, like, and so I'm like, okay, 
if Daniel actually had the dream and then the angel came and actually interpreted the dream and he still can't fully understand it, like there's going to be some stuff that we're like, okay, we need a minute to figure that out. But at the same time in Daniel, it does also say because we're not going to, he wasn't going to be able to fully understand it because so much was going to still happen in the world. And, and, and it does say that as the days get closer, so it's going to start to become a little more clear. So too in Jeremiah 30, it says, in the latter days is when we're going to start to probably be able to piece a lot of these things together. Uh, this scripture, Luke 21, I remember reading it along with Matthew 24, even when we were living in Noosa, actually, and reading it and being super burdened by it because it's a heavy piece of scripture, but honestly not fully getting it. And actually even messaging like a theologian in our church, super respectful theologian and saying, can you please explain this to me? And he too was like, I'm not entirely sure. At that time, it was a Syrian refugee crisis. And I was like, has this got anything to do with the Syrian refugee crisis? I'm trying to figure all this out. But it just wasn't, I couldn't piece it all. But it's amazing how slowly, slowly you start to watch, watch Israel, right? This is what we're doing. We're watching Israel. And then things start happening and you're like, oh my goodness, like the Bible has spoken about this. This is starting to make sense. Okay, so Matthew 24, where it says you're going to see the abomination of desolation. There's a cross-reference there. I've, I've put those extra scriptures, and you can write them down to Daniel to go where, where this is. He sees basically a prince who is to come. And what he's going to do is he's going to make a covenant with Israel, and then he's going to break it in the middle of what is known as the tribulation, which is, according to Daniel and Revelation, a seven-year period. There's this covenant made, and there's peace for three and a half years, and then three and a half years, it it gets broken. It gets broken. So I'm watching, and I, you know, like it's so hard, guys, to watch war because no one wins at war. No one wins, and it's devastating to watch. But I'm watching like 300,000 people, I think, march in London yesterday for a ceasefire. And I'm all, Flip, it would be awesome to have a ceasefire. But have you dealt with, like, have we dealt with the problem? <laughs> like, you know, like, have we? Do we just stop? It's another ceasefire. There's, there's been uprisings the whole time. There's another ceasefire. And then what? Do we just wait again? And then there's another attack. And every time the attacks come, they get stronger. It's like, is that the solution? Like, I don't, I, I don't, I'm so glad I'm not the person making decisions. I'm not a politician. All I can do is read the word of God and go, it's just so interesting how much what happens on the stage of the Middle East gains so much international traction and how the world rallies towards stuff and starts chanting things that I don't know if we fully understand or starts trying to call shots. This is what we do where we, we're, not, we're not deep enough in the story to call those shots, right? Like, so Thessalonians 2, maybe I should just quickly read that to you. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 also is a reference in this particular piece of scripture where it talks about Jerusalem being surrounded, and it talks about, in Matthew 24, an abomination of desolation, okay? The prince who is to come. And, um, oh, Sienna, you've been taking selfies on my phone, I see. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for those. Um, <laughs> okay, in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, th- this piece of scripture is titled, Man of Lawlessness. It's talking about 
this abomination of desolation, this prince who is to come. And listen to what it says. This is Paul speaking, remember now. And he says, now in regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay, second coming. Very common in those days to have spoken about this, become less common in our day, which it shouldn't be, okay? And our gathering together to meet him, that is speaking about the rapture. Our gathering together, if you cross-reference that, it literally is our being collected, in the air. I can't wait to see what that even looks like. I did say to Mark when he was like, hey, people are early for church today. We're doing a lot of coffees. I'm like, I feel like people are probably worried we're gonna, they're going to miss the rapture. Hey, they, they're arriving early. Gathering together to meet him. Okay, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly unsettled or alarmed. All right, just like calm down. Because obviously people across time have all been like, when is this happening? What, you know, don't be alarmed. Either by a so-called prophetic revelation of a spirit or a message or a letter alleged to be from us. Okay, you can see the state of this Thessalonians um, church, Thessalonica. Okay, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't think it's already come and you've missed it. <laughs> That's what the people then were feeling. Let no one in any way deceive or entrap you, for that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Okay, what is the apostasy? It tells you actually in brackets, 2 Thessalonians 2, guys. That is the great rebellion, the abandonment of the faith by professed Christians. A lot of people want to stop on this. I don't know if I'm going to stop on it too long because some people are like, wow, since COVID, like people are all like, <laughs> have people just haven't come back to church. <laughs> like they just do their own thing now. They just take the Bible as they want to read it. They're not actually reading it. They're just like, you know, I just, I believe this. I believe that. It's like deconstruction of faith is a quite a thing right now. Some people believe that that connects to that scripture. I don't know. I don't know. Other people believe that there's actually going to come a day on the earth where literally this Prince of Peace will come and it will be, if you, I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Silence. Oh my gosh, we watched it with you guys. Remember, so heavy where it was like, if you do not renounce your faith, you die. And so maybe there's a time coming where a whole lot of people who are left on the earth will just renounce their faith. Renounce, renounce, renounce. The, trip, the rapture's happened. They know of Jesus. There's a new world order in place. What do you, this is what you're forced to be part of. So if you're not, you die. Do you know I don't know, guys, but here we go. That's what the scripture says. Okay, and so an apostasy will come. Has it come or is it still coming? I don't know. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. This is a little clearer. The son of destruction, the Antichrist. That is spoken about in Revelation. The one who is destined to be destroyed, as spoken about in Revelation. Okay, verse 4. This is the last verse I'll read to you from 2 Thessalonians. Um, Thessalonians but listen to what it says about the Antichrist. He's the one who oppresses and exalts himself so proudly and so insolently above every so-called God or object of worship so that he actually enters and takes his seat in the temple of God, publicly proclaiming that he himself is God. So there's a lot of people, this is Paul telling the Thessalonians, relax, you haven't missed the rapture. <laughs> These two things actually, like, 
you know, or the second coming, sorry, not the rapture, the second coming, you haven't missed it. These two things need to happen, apostasy, and there actually needs to be somebody who comes into Jerusalem, and he will literally set himself up. You know, I don't know, because there isn't a temple in Jerusalem anymore, but you know what does still remain is the Holy of Holies, the space of the Holy of Holies. If you look um, ever when the news is showing you Jerusalem, it's hard not to notice that big golden dome in the middle of Jerusalem. And to the side is the Wailing Wall. It's the foundations of what was the temple. It's all that remains. And Jewish people go there and they still, it's the Wailing Wall. They cry over the temple and they put their prayers into the cracks of the temple. But just beyond is that big gold dome, which is under Jordanian rule. Jerusalem is is a super interesting city where, like I said last week, nobody owns it. Israel kind of Um, look after it, but they don't actually, it's not actually theirs. It's why it was a big deal when President Trump moved the Israeli embassy into Jerusalem, because what he was saying is, I recognize Jerusalem as Israel's, but nobody else has actually stamped that on, like formally stamped that on. And so if you ever go to Jerusalem, you actually would find this really interesting city where it's almost courted, and there's a Jordanian quarter, and then there's a Jewish quarter, and then there's an Arab quarter, Palestinian quarter, and then there's a kind of Christian touristy quarter. And it's quite even interesting how some of these scriptures about what is to come, where it says half the city is going to be destroyed, are more, who are they going to take out of the city, right? If, 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 if an attack comes on the city by a certain demographic or certain people type, it, it, there's such an, a want to own that city. It's seen as such a holy place. And the Jordanians, when, I, I don't know exactly when, but that gold dome, what they, what the, the king of Jordan, is there a king of Jordan? Is that what he's called? Or is he like the pharaoh or the king? The king. Um, <laughs> but what they do within their culture is actually when they when they marry and take a bride is they actually drip their bride with gold. It's a statement of their wealth and of their ownership of that bride. That's what happens within a wedding in that culture. And so um, what happened with that dome is the Jordanian king actually sold some property to literally, but it is literal gold, to drip what was the Holy of Holies, the actual place that was the Holy of Holies. Drip it with gold as a statement to the rest of the world to say it is mine, like I have bought this. Such a statement. And 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 you cannot go and visit there as a tourist. But the, the um, friend of ours who was showing us around the city at the time said that because he's a guide, he got this one opportunity to go in. And it's crazy because you can still see within the, within the foundations the exact markings of the Ark of the Covenant sit under that golden dome. And so when I read this and I think about somebody coming who will literally charge into Jerusalem, surround the city, take the city, remove, there will be like a, like, we'll get to there, we'll get to that battle, but, but will he actually go and sit in the Holy of Holies and say, this is mine? Like, is that what's going to happen? Is that, is that what two Thessalonians is talking about? That's how I, that's what I feel is what it's talking about, but you are welcome to go home and just meditate over that yourself. Let's just go back to Luke 21, verse 21, okay? Jesus is speaking on. He's talked about surrounding the city, okay? An abomination of desolation in the holy place. Verse 21, at that time, guys, 
Those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And those who are inside the city, Jerusalem, that slide, that slide will be somewhere, guys, sorry. Those who are inside the city, Jerusalem, must get out. This is Jesus speaking. And those who are out in the country must not enter the city. For these are the days of vengeance, of rendering full justice or satisfaction. There are people that will enter an army that will enter that city that is wanting to take their vengeance and put right what they believe was wrong all along. And they're going to take it out on Jerusalem so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. There's so many prophecies about it. So Jesus is saying all those prophecies are going to happen at that time. And in in Matthew 24, it just gives us a glimpse of actually how quickly this is going to go down. I mean, on October 7th, we just saw how quickly it went down. All of a sudden, bam, surprised. Okay, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 17 to 18. He says, whoever is on the housetop, I don't know if you've ever seen a Jewish house, but they've got like almost flat roofs and they do use their housetop. So if you're on the housetop, must not go down to get the things that are in his house because there will not be enough time. Whoever is in the field must not return back to get his coat. It's like run, run when that city is surrounded. And you see that Prince of Peace, an absolute antichrist, because we all know Jesus is the Prince of Peace, capital P. So this Prince of Peace is lowercase p. Those guys in that city need to run. Verse 23 says, Woe to those women who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. It's so kind, like Jesus is so... Like, oh my goodness, imagine how hard it's going to be for them. For great trouble and anguish will be on the land and wrath and retribution on this people, Israel. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, completed, it says. Until it's all done, there's a completion attached to it. In Zechariah 14, I don't know if I've got that slide, but I did make reference to it, I think, last week. It it says this in verse 2, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, and the houses plundered. And listen to this. And the woman ravished. I don't know if you guys saw pictures on the 7th of October about, are there any children in the building? Some of those women were just so brutally raped brutal and it was like within the Middle East is such an honor shame culture those of us who've been doing the Jesus and woman course we know this it's how do we put shame on what has unjustly been our course because of you because of you people isn't that so detailed the woman ravished and half of the city will be exiled but the rest of the people remember Jerusalem is a city courted they will not be cut from the city. That's Zechariah 14, 2. In Matthew 24, in verse 21 and 20, 22, it says, it says this about that time. For at that time, there will be a great tribulation, pressure, distress, oppression. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now. 
nor ever will again, because it's the end. And if those days of tribulation had not been cut short, no human life would be saved. I can't, we kind of ended here last week about how we actually can't have a World War III. We can't, because we will self-destruct. And so if it's not cut short by Jesus coming again, there literally will not be anything left. But for the sake of the elect, is that scripture up there? Which in brackets says God's chosen ones. And it's interesting because when you really dig into there, there's been all kinds of theological debate. Is that Israel? Is it not? No, it's the church. Every other place in brackets where they're being very specific about Israel, they actually say Israel. But this, the sake of the elect, is God's chosen ones, the church. Those days will be shortened. And we spoke briefly again, I read you Isaiah 65 last week, about beyond the great tribulation, how there is a time of ruling and reigning of the church to come. And, 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 and again, guys, such theological debate about this. Is this because the church goes through the tribulation and God is saving us within that? Or is it because we have been raptured out before the tribulation and then when Jesus comes again, we actually come with him, but we come back to a world then where we can at least salvage it. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I read something yesterday. My mum is a theologian and I, I've been, we have had way too many conversations lately about all of this. Um, but I read something yesterday in Zechariah 14, which I don't think I'd really seen before, maybe because I, I read it in the Amplified, but it's verse 5 where it says, it's talking about this time of Jerusalem being attacked. And it says, and you will flee just as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Isaiah. You'll see later on, actually, it's not just an army attacking, but actually in Zechariah, it talks about when, when, when Jesus comes again, like crazy natural disaster. Not the first time the world would have experienced natural disaster. Not the first time natural disaster would have even been used to deal with wickedness. If you know the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt and how they were completely washed away in the Red Sea. There's one example. But even after that, you've got the Israelites moving into the promised land, but taking their time with it, 40 years in the wilderness. And there's this uprising against Moses. And actually God deals with it. He just, there's this huge earthquake. And, and, and people are just swallowed, and it's like, there we go, that's the end of wickedness. And, and, and I'm like, there's all this natural disaster at this time of the second coming. And so, I don't know, I'm such a visual person, I'm trying to like imagine it. I'm like, is that, is that how it gets dealt with? Is there like an encampment of an army and then just bam, earthquake, gone is the army? In Hezekiah's time, like the Assyrian army completely surrounded Jerusalem. They were outnumbered in every single way by people, by weapons, power, everything. Hezekiah was a godly prince and he looked out at this army and honestly, they're in the natural, they were finished, absolutely finished. But they prayed, and they fasted, and they trusted God. And then they looked out, and the entire army had been struck by some sort of plague and had died. It's like, my goodness. Is this like, are we? <laughs> anyway, Zechariah 14 is talking about, I don't know what I was talking about. The earthquake, okay, in the days of Uzziah, saying it's, it'll be like that, okay, these natural disasters that will happen at that time. And then listen, this is the end of verse five. Then the Lord my God will come 
and all the holy ones, and in brackets, believers and angels with him. And I'm all, ah, (laughs) is that us? Like, Jesus, can you just show us? I really want to know if we're going through the tribulation or not. My um, Cheslin, who's going to come and speak to you guys in, in the beginning of December, she's all, my stance right now is prepare for the tribulation and anything else is a bonus. I'm all, okay. <laughs> it's no light story though, but I, I think at the core, guys, if you want to know, and I'm, this is not a theological class now, but if you want to know what I believe, 95%, I believe we get raptured out before I believe that with that, so too the Holy Spirit who lives in us is raptured out. (laughs) And no wonder the world can go to pot because there's no church interceding on her behalf. Um, It's another story for another day. Let's just get back to the words of Jesus. These are good words. These are, well, yeah, they're words. Okay, basically, if you want to know what happens in this battle, God rescues Israel, okay? There's repentance and there is salvation. You can go and read it in Isaiah 59. It's so beautiful. It says about the people of Israel, so so they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun for he will come in like a narrow rushing stream. This is all talking about this time of of this war that will take place in Jerusalem, which the breath of the Lord drives, overwhelming the enemy. A redeemer, Messiah will come to Zion, second coming. And to those in Jacob, Israel, who turn from from transgression or sin, repent, declares the Lord. There's this mass salvation, not only prophesied about there, but in Zechariah 12 too. Zechariah is a good book to go and, to go and read. The, the, Zechariah 12 is entitled, Jerusalem to be attacked. And it tells you. And then in verse 10, it talks about this repentance and salvation that's going to come to those people, to the, to, to the Jewish people. It's like, I don't know. Do we have to be brought to our knees, though, in life, hey, to see what's true? Okay, maybe we just go quickly. I know we're not quite finished Luke 21, but I just, again, want to interject with something that there are. There is scripture for you on the screens. It is Ezekiel 39, guys, and and, and if you were wanting more detail of this this war on Israel, this World War III, which it's not called in scripture, but that's probably the easiest word to use for us to understand. In scripture, it is called Jacob's Trouble or, or the Great Tribulation. Then Ezekiel 39 spells it out so clearly. Daniel actually does too. We just don't have enough time to go to both. But this is Ezekiel. He says, son of man, prophesy against Gog. What a name. Um, I'll explain who that is in a minute. A message of God, the master. I'm against you, Gog, head of Meshach and Tabel. Those, um, Gog, it, 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 Meshach and Tabal, and then later on it talks actually about Magog. They're actually both three sons of Japheth. Japheth um, was one of three sons of Noah. So you have the flood, 
Okay, you have Noah and his family that survive. He has three sons. One of them is Japheth. Japheth actually had seven sons, but these three sons are addressed in Ezekiel 39 and the land that they went and they started to dwell in. After the flood, we get to Genesis 11, where this is the Tower of Babel and the whole world gets scattered from there. Okay, and so Japheth's sons get scattered. And if you want to know where the land of these three sons are, Meshach's land today is Russia and Ukraine. It's very interesting watching how Russia is trying to take over Ukraine. In Psalm 120, verse 5 and 6, they, like, it, the land of Meshach is actually spoken about, and the way it's spoken about, it says there, um, of those people, they're those who hate peace. How crazy is that? How detailed is the Bible as well? Like, um, Possibly also the Republic of Georgia is in that is in Meshach's land. Okay, Tobel's land is central Turkey, modern day central Turkey. The scripture continues, I'm gonna turn you around and drag you out, drag you out of the far north, Russia, and down on the mountains of Israel. Then I'll knock your bow out of your left hand and your arrows from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel, you'll be slaughtered. You and all your troops and the people with you, I'll serve you up. I'll serve you up as a meal to carrion birds and sca scavenging animals. You'll be killed in the open field. I've given my word, decree of God, the Master. Set fire to Magog. Magog is the other son, guys. He was also a son of Japheth. Um, and and in short, what this is referring to, if you dig, dig, dig into old maps, and um, which we don't have time to do. But this war is talking about Russia and a coalition of Arab nations on Jerusalem. But it's not, only us, it's not only setting fire to those areas, but listen, and the far off islands where people are so seemingly secure, but we're so far away from the Middle East. And they'll realize that I am God and I'll reveal my holy name among my people Israel. Never again will I let my holy name be dragged in the mud. And then the nations will realize that I, God, and the holy in Israel, it's coming. Yes, it will happen. This is the day I've been telling you about. People will come out of the cities of Israel and make huge, this is after the war, like huge bonfire of the weapons. Like, guys, can you believe this is in the Bible? Piling on shields, large and small, bows and arrows, clubs and spears, a fire that'll keep going on seven years. This is his prophecy, vision, okay? That's a long fire. Um, I'm going to skip just because you can go home and read it. But if you keep going down, it goes down to Israel. will bury corpses in order to clean up the land. It will take them seven months. Seven months. All the peoples will turn out to help with the burials. It will be a big day for the people when it's all done. And I'm given my due. Keeps going. I can't read it all. We don't have time. But you, you go home and read it. I'll put my glory on display. I don't know if you, how you're going there, Adrian. Um, <laughs> among the nations. And they'll all see the judgment I execute. See me at work handing out judgment. There will be judgment on the wickedness. In Daniel 8, you know, there's this... Um, spoke about Daniel and these prophecies that he foresees and it's this crazy thing about horns the same as the horns in Revelation and they're, they're like 10 of them and 
and then, and then there's this one horn, which everybody really does recognize as being Alexander the Great and the, and, and, the, and the Greek Empire that is then broken into four. And if you know anything about your history, the Greek Empire is broken into four. Um, and then from one of, the, one of the territories, there's this little horn that's spoken about. And it talks about how it will rise and it will grow and grow and grow until eventually that, I mean, what does a horn do? It challenges and attacks until eventually that horn attacks and challenges God himself and takes over. Um, if you want my thoughts on what that little horn is, my thoughts are that it's Islam. Because when we watch what's going down and we see that it's not just going to go down in the Middle East, but you think you're so safe in the surrounding territories, we just need to watch the news and find out and see how many in, in nations everywhere there are just uprisings. And it's like, did I, I, I actually, even though I've read these scriptures, I actually cannot believe like some of the things I I'm watching and some of the anger and resentment rising up in like Sydney, <laughs> people standing on the steps of the opera house shouting, gas the Jew. I'm like, is this 2023? Like, are you for real? Like, is that hatred still so deep? Like, is it just, is it, but, but there, there, there is a, a hatred that is dotted around the globe. And, and it's not a people group. It's a big difference. Remember, we talked about the natural and the spiritual last week. There's a big difference between the two. Um, I can't, I'm not going to read the rest of Isaiah 39 because I just really want to finish the words of Jesus and then we're going to pray, okay? So if we can go back to Luke 21 and just finish, finish with some of the beauty of Jesus coming again. Verse 25. Okay, this, is, this just very briefly talks about some of the natural disasters. There will be signs attesting miracles in the sun and moon and stars. In Zechariah 14, it talks about this blackout and this, these earthquakes. And on the earth, there will be distress and anguish among nations in perplexity. Remember, this is Jesus speaking, okay? At the roaring and tossing of the sea and the waves, people fainting from fear and expectation of the dreadful things coming on the world, for the very powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with transcendent, overwhelming power subduing the nations and with great glory. Now, when these things begin to occur, stand tall and lift up your heads in joy. If anybody here like, is listening to the podcast, if we do get raptured out and someone's listening to this podcast one day when, I'm like, this is when you can stand and lift your heads in joy because suffering ends as your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the, lead, all the trees, okay? It's amazing how he just jumps to a little story here, hey? As soon as they put out leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is near. In other words, look, watch. I'm giving you the signs. You can tell by nature. When a tree puts out its leaves, it's like, ah, oh, summer, we watch. Ah, oh, spring. Ah, oh, winter. We can do this in the natural. I'm giving you the spiritual things to watch, the birth pangs to watch for, right? 
So you too, when you see these things happening, know without any doubt that the kingdom of God is near. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this generation, those living at that definite period of time preceding the second coming, when you see all this stuff going down, will not pass away. That is the time. Okay? If, if, if we enter that great, that seven years, I'm all, we're that generation. Okay? So don't think the birth pangs are start going to go back to five minutes apart. <laughs> like they're not. I assure you and most solemnly say to you, this generation, those living at that definite period of time preceding the second coming will not pass away until everything takes place. Heaven and earth will pass away because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But my words, they will not pass away. And then just to end the final bit, Listen, this is to us, the church, and this is why I'm going to ask Chairs to come and speak to us about, because she did a great job of it um, with their church. It says this, but be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down and depressed with the giddiness of debauchery and the nausea of self-indulgence and the worldly worries of life. And then that day when the Messiah returns will not come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of all the earth. But keep alert at all times. Be attentive and ready, praying that you may have the strength and ability to be found worthy and to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man at his coming. And so... Whether that means found worthy, you get raptured out, or whether found worthy, like pray that you're going to have the strength to be able to navigate what's coming. And like I said to you, that exa- that like story of Harriet Tubman, like like slavery in America was hectic, hectic, and that whole underground rail like train system that they set up where they were trying to save people out of slavery was 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 risky and violent like costly and this woman just kept coming back and fetching people and the voice of God was so near to her that whenever there was word of her to like intercept her on her way she would hear the Holy Spirit and she would redirect and she would be safe and so I'm like God, there is, there is hope for the church. There is hope. Like we cannot go away and feel angst. But I think what we do need to do is feel, um, I think a sense of urgency is important no matter what time you live in. Because seriously, like life is so fragile right now on the North Coast. We've just had a fragile week of life for a fair few families. So listen, if somebody is going to pass away before all of this starts, then there's a sense of urgency for people to know Jesus. If we are the generation, if you want me to know if I believe we are, I do. I believe we are. If we are the generation that is going to see the second coming of Jesus, then there's a sense of urgency. So, so there's this sense of praying and of, for our family that don't know Jesus. The sense of not freaking people out, but being, and, and the sense of us being ready. Like a readiness. That's what I want Chairs to come and speak on. Just what does it even look like? What does a ready church even just look like? I feel like that would be helpful for us. Um, and so, so yeah, she'll come and she'll continue on. But for the next week, maybe we'll just harbor this whole conversation for a little bit. Um, and 
just for a bit. <laughs> and then if anybody, can I just say, if anybody is like, whoa, can we do coffee? Yes, we can. Because it is a lot. Um, and and if, you weren't, if you didn't hear last week, please go back and just listen to the podcast. I feel like I'm walking around the streets of Salt Rock at the moment and people are all, ah, I heard your podcast. I'm all, oh. Um, people, <laughs> I just must go back and have a little listen to see that everything came out right. And there were actually three things. Can I just finish by saying that when I listened back, you know how when you can talk and you mean to say something? I was saying Egypt and Jordan are in um, <laughs> like... They're in a partnership with Israel, and then I was talking about how it would be really interesting to me if Saudi do go public with their partnership, because that would trigger, that is a coalition that would potentially trigger an opposition coalition. Um, so that, that's what I was actually trying to say. I think I ended up, instead of saying Israel, said Egypt, and then I think I referenced a couple of scriptures were, which were legit scriptures, but I might have just told them, instead of it being in Zechariah, it was in Daniel or anyway. But I'm sure people can go and Google and find out for themselves. But if you do end up passing that on, just maybe let people know, you know, just Google the scriptures. They are there, but I may have, um, yeah. Uh, shall we pray? <laughs> Father, I... Um, I just thank you for your word as we just, we've read through your words actually, like Luke 21, Matthew 24, we've read through them, we've read through like a hard conversation that you had with your disciples and a preparatory conversation that you gave, like you gifted to us. But as we take them and as we mull over them, Father, like Holy Spirit, would you be with us because we have access to you to help us, to enlighten us, to show us, which would we be people who, um, who would just be well prepared, like, and, and, and not prepared, like, bunker down, like, no, people that are becoming more and more like you, Jesus. If the world was completely sanctified, in other words, so beautifully like you, mirroring you, this would be such a different world. There would be no more abusive power. There would be joy. There would be generosity. There would be a flourishing of the land and a flourishing in the land. And so would we as your church be committed to a process of sanctification, of becoming more like you, not because we strive for it, but because we're in your presence. And as we spend time of your presence in your presence, we become more like you. How can we not? We become like that which we hang around. And so would we be a Holy Spirit church? A church so full of your fruit, Father, of your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, of your goodness, like of your self-control, Father, even. Self-control, oh my goodness, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And we just struggle with it so often. Get carried away. But would we not be carried away? Would we, like, we just, would we be carried into your presence? Would you beautify us, your bride, a, a gathering of your bride? And Father, would we lead many to Jesus? Would we actually become a church that would house like revival and salvation because I believe with all my heart that Father, as you are long-suffering and patient and as you are watching Dre's, like the cup of wickedness full, so too is your Father heart so desperate for people to come into salvation in this time, this time, the time of the church. And so would we, your church, like wake up, like would we wake up Arise, and would you use us? And would we see salvation 
and miracles and would we see our family guys if you have family that are not yet saved would you even just see their faces right now and would we pray in this moment just for a moment for our family members and our loved ones and our nearest and our dearest to have something in their hearts click on to the reality of you Jesus may this Christmas time be so strategic to be able to share you, Jesus, with people, to be able to see people come alive to who you are. And may we have a blessed, blessed Sunday with our nearest and our dearest and a beautiful week until we gather again for your word. Let your word always refresh us and change us and shape us, especially in these days, in Jesus' name. Amen. 